It's Tuesday, February 4th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 536 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 50 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. I'm Laura. My name is Chad. And this is Dale. All right, so tonight we decided to give Wayne the night off. This is a nice thing about having a rotational mm-hmm. host again, is <laughs> we can actually cycle who's on here instead of me, Chad, Wayne, and a plus one sounding like beaten horses. <laughs> I mean, we were always right. We never disagreed with sure, each other. Sure, I mean, yes, but I'm just saying there was such a fatigue about our correctness. Yeah, that's true. You can only be so right so I mean, often. I, I need the one true opinion to come across as novel. That's part of the sale. Wait, here. since here. when is Wayne the one true opinion? No. Wayne oh, I was, was thinking just, more Chad, since when is Chad Wayne the one who's always right? Of, <laughs> I've got seniority, thank you. Look, Wayne was a symptom of being here, right? Mm. You cannot be at a party and not be a party goer. It's, right. it's, it's sort of just tautological in the phrase. We just wore him down. Right. And in the same way, <laughs> Wayne cannot be on this show and also not correct. Dale, we're so, doomed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But the point is that even he was getting tired, you know, of just... Yeah. And I don't care that he was tired. Right. That's no. his problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a Wayne problem. Fear yeah. the Boot has no HR department. No, not. <laughs> we have no employees. In fact, even I'm not an employee. We have one contractor, which is Aisha. We don't have anybody mm. else in the organization. I am its sole... I forget what my title is, but by law, I have to have a title. I forget what it is, but even I don't technically work for Fear the Boot. I thought Charlie was the HR department. Well, take it up with him. But he's, All right. he's a walking HR violation. <laughs> I mean, he's naked. He yeah. was licking my armpit. He, he was licking your armpit too. without he, consent. He walks yep. in here wearing nothing but a dog collar, which is a fetish all its own. I mean, if true. you're he's, he's all into pet play. Mm-hmm. He never comes out of his dog persona. Yeah. He's a furry. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. You're sounding pretty judgy over there. And he, he, don't kink shame Charlie. He licks Seriously, it. man. It was my prior dog that LARPed. <laughs> this dog hasn't LARPed, at least. My prior dog in the middle oh. of a Star Wars RPG, I had a breakfast bar at the apartment I was living in. And my first dog, in the middle of the game, she stood up on her hind legs on the other side of the breakfast bar from us and had her front paws on the counter standing fully upright. And she was about five feet tall doing that and was just looking across the bar at us. I mean, she looked like she was tending bar. Yeah. And she just <laughs> stayed like that. And I, I Well, and you were the weird ones for staring. And she I, was in character. I looked at her and I'm like, okay, Pearl, we'll take your order now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, she apparently LARPed some kind of alien mm-hmm. in Star Wars, like a short Wookiee. I, no, maybe a boss. Maybe you were the alien. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I know. Maybe that's why she's looking at us. Yeah. She didn't like these human Imperial types that's being in right. her bar. Because I was playing an Imperial character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't say that I blame her then. Right. So, first topic for today, we're going to talk about something that we were trying to figure out how we want to pronounce. (laughs) And I'm going to save some of you people some time. We looked in a dictionary, and it has three accepted pronunciations, so any of them are correct. But we've been waffling between, are these errata or errata? And apparently what was both the weird third one? Arada. Arada. Yeah, I've that, never heard of so I'm going to go with that one. For anyone wrong. who's not familiar with the term, I, it comes from the same word that we get error from. So what errata or errata is, is when somebody has a mistake, but then follows it up with a corrective guide. Okay. Where you ought to have seen these in a role-playing game, and the ought there is why hmm. we're going to talk about this, is when people put out a book, There may be something in there that was a typo, 
or was a leftover from a previous draft or who knows what. And it may be that a gun is supposed to do 1d8 damage, not 1d6. Or doing this or that gets you a plus two bonus, not a plus four, or whatever the case may be. And companies will sometimes release these errata sheets or errata guides that contain, okay, on page 120, we said it's a 1d6, it's supposed to be a 1d8. On page 159, we say that you have to take two squares of movement for this to happen. The truth is any movement will trigger it, whatever it may be. But they collect all their errors in there and release them. Now, Dale, you yourself as a publisher have some opinions on this. All right. So I spent the past few days working on uh, nothing but errata. And yes, I pronounce it errata. Let me tell you, damn uh, is the best way to describe it. It's a hell of a lot of work. And whenever a publisher does this, they do this for you guys. They don't do this for themselves. They got your money. Yeah, exactly. And the sales have already happened. So they're not going to be making any money off of this. So they do this for all of us gamers. And you were working on corrections errata for your... For my own books, yes. Yeah. Right. And if a company does does this, especially a company that you love, uh, just give them a little, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Because they do this for you guys. So, Mm. you know, a little uh, encouragement to them. (laughs) Because let me tell you, generally speaking, it's a thankless job, you know, doing that. You know, not a lot of people say thank you. You've already wrote the book. You've already published the book. You've already edited the book. You've gone over 10,000 times already. It is out the door. Now you're going back and you're rereading your book yes. line by line oh, yeah. by line. Mm-hmm. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Every author is their own best editor the day after publication. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Yes. Right. Prior yeah. to publication, they need third-party editors. Mm-hmm. But if I edited my own work and could only edit it in, like, by altering reality at the quantum level, <laughs> change the book in your hands as I realize what got printed, everything I write would be perfect. <laughs> because I do not see any error half so well as after the fact. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true when you're writing a role-playing game because you are putting together so much information. Role-playing books are very info-dense. Okay. They have lots of numbers, charts, rules, contingencies, what happens if this and this happen together. And I would actually go a step farther than what Dale wanted. If you put out an errata sheet, you not only have done something that is often a thankless job that brings no value to your company, makes you no money, but is only done for the benefit of the player so that they have a rebalanced and corrected version of the rules. I think it goes beyond being thankless into at times it invites criticism. Because if I put out a book and then put out a two-sider page of all the errors that were in the book, which my book's going to have either way. And by the Mm -hmm. way, even these top shelf, high dollar books, your D&D books have this many errors. Okay, This is reality. So you ever ran a spell check from Word against a Word help file? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And when you put these sheets out, you're drawing everyone's attention to your mistakes. And I have seen people look at the errata sheets, whether they were handed out by hand, they used to back in the 80s and 90s sometimes include them 
as an insert into the next book, like here's the corrections to the prior book you bought or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. people would mock them. They would say, oh, you know, you know how screwed up this company is and how little they care. Because look, Oh, at yeah, the how correct- little they care. They they corrected this for free and published it. Exactly. Like right. Exactly. Well, why didn't they get it right the first time? Because yeah. 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 they're swimming in all these RPG millions, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that not everyone appreciates. Yes, I am in favor of taking care when you write your stuff. I am in favor of editing and playtesting, but things that complicated are fallible. That's just how reality works. And there are people that have never put anything out because to draw on a saying, we draw on quite a bit, which is often credited to Voltaire, but apparently predates him, is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. You sit there chewing on something until it's perfect, you will never release it. Right. Yeah. And a big company like Wizards of the Coast, even they, will never release it because something that complicated will always have errors in it. And so, yes, be careful with your product. Yes, do some quality assurance. But if a company takes the time to help you out and say, look, I'm going to go back on my own time and my own dime to fix this, doesn't kill you to do an at them in a tweet or send them an email or something and say, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Now, I think the other end of this, too, is finding this errata. Okay, this is where I want to slap the publishers. But, Dale, before I launch into the smack a publisher side, okay, do you have anything else you want to say under the positive column here for people that do errata sheets? They work very hard. Give them a, a little pat on the back. I think what Dale's actually saying here is this past week he needed a hug and did not get it. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it. That's, yes. So the negative that I see with <laughs> Irana is, Chad, what you just right. mentioned, and we were complaining about this at dinner, which is the difficulty sometimes in finding this. One of the well, great well, things... Well, let's go all the way back to the 80s for a moment. Sure. In, so in the 80s, it, you... You had to be subscribed to a magazine. Well, or sometimes there's an insert in a book. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. So there might be a fan magazine, like Dragon Magazine... White Dwarf. Mechforce North America... Yeah. There might be a magazine like that that you subscribe to, and it contained that was their way of distributing the errors from a prior publication to the audience. In other cases, they might be included in the next book. If there was an immediate follow up to it, there would be an insert telling you what the errors were, or if there was another print run. But because we're talking at the time, very, very difficult publication software. Assuming it was not hand arranged, mm-hmm. fixing a little bit or a little character, that was a lot harder than it sounded. So it might be an appendix at the back of the next edition of the book. So if you got the second print run of your D&D player's handbook, there would be an errata sheet in the back that includes all the errors that were found after the original print run that you now know to use. Well, one of the great and terrible things about the Internet age is it is so easy for fans to interact with the authors and publishers and game designers and all this crap, which is fine, except for the fact that oftentimes these rules clarifications or outright fixes, so not just clarification upon what was there, but what was there is wrong, doesn't come to you in a form that you even saw it, but somewhere in some forum post buried in some unknown forum Somebody just happened to catch Monty Cook, who just happened to tell them that the D8 was supposed to be a D6. 
And because this is a game you're playing in an organized play setting, if it's a board game or a card game, this might be a competitive setting, Mm -hmm. potentially with significant money on the line, whatever it is. And suddenly this is now the canonical truth and nobody but these three people know it ever occurred. Yeah. And this is where I want to smack the writers and publishers, whatever. You're doing a great service to your fans. But for God's sake, can you collate this into an <laughs> FAQ on your website where I can right. click the publication and here's the FAQs and errata for it? Yeah. They're like, by the way, if you bought this book, here is everything. And if somebody says, well, hey, what happens if somebody casts this spell on somebody who's already under the effect of this spell and you make a definitive ruling? Great. Now go back to the FAQ or the wiki or something and add it there too. Right. Because I hate it when somebody whips out a forum post or a Mm -hmm. blog post or a tweet and is like, no, it's actually like this. And they're right. (laughs) But, I mean, what's the saying from Big Lebowski? The fact that you're... You're right, Arthur, but you're still an... Yeah, or yeah. The fact you're right doesn't make you not a dick or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. It's, yeah, you, you can be both and... I appreciate you publishers and authors, what you're doing for the fans. But for the people that are trying to run this game or play in these games, I mean, I've been going through this with the card game uh, Bang, which is Mm -hmm. a non-collectible card game made for a large group of people. I think the base game is seven and the expansions take it up to eight or maybe it's six and eight. But it plays for a really large group of people. Ton of fun. But there's a lot of rules clarifications I'm having to get from Google. Oh, jeez. And I wish the company that made them would just put them into a single PDF on their website or put them into an an HTML page mm-hmm. on their website. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care where you put it. but Well, think about this, too. In this age of social media and whatnot, it's really cool that you can reach out to a publisher, an author, or something like that, and say, hey, I am sitting at my game table playing your game right now. We have this question, what if X was Y? And minutes later... They respond and say, oh, cool, thanks for playing X is Y when this happens. Well, they're not sitting at their computer in their command center right. waiting right. to open up their website to add to the thing. They're getting on a plane in Denver. Well, and that, you know <laughs> yeah. what? That's totally understandable, and I get that. I really yeah. do. These are people that have other obligations who took their time to respond at all. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is a kudos on them for being active with the community but but there are ways around that. Yes. I mean, there are ways. My job, I do documentation. Mm-hmm. I fix errors in documentation all the time. That's a huge part of what my, what my job is. So if you have the author tell you, oh, X is Y when this happens, there should be a way to, you know, email in or, you know, message something or submit a form and say, mm-hmm. hey, I spoke with the author. Here's a link to the Twitter post where this happened. This was the correction. Can you put it on your errata sheet? Yeah, I completely agree. Whether it's you email someone, whether it's you have a wiki that has approved changes where people can submit changes and then you choose to approve them or not based on what they say. So you get your fixes in there without somebody's, you know, (laughs) trolling you or whatever. Or, you know what, even if the fans ran one, but they said, okay, this is like 5eurata.com, and in order for something to appear on here, you have to be able to source the tweet or the right. forum post or whatever so that we can cite so we can what makes this authentic. Yeah, yeah exactly. so we can vet that this is real. There, Yes, I understand that this is added work for people that have already taken time to talk to you, but the same technology that allows us to have those interactions also allows us 
to have a way of trying to collate all that information. Because, man, nothing would drive me nuttier than being in a situation where it's you know really strict play. Well, once again, that's organized, competitive, or maybe just you got that one guy at the table. <laughs> and you go to do something, and all of a sudden, everything you've worked out. I mean, hell, if it's 40K, your army build right. is right. based around the assumption this rule works a certain way. And almost every other issue of White Dwarf Magazine in the 80s had errata. because. Yeah. That was their main thing was tournament play, yeah. and they had it, it had to be precise rules. And so, I mean, unbalanced, I, boring, and expensive, but precise. I, admitting <laughs> I one have not played Magic at all in several years, and two have never played it in a competitive setting, but I have certainly observed these games, and I know people that do, and I've heard the horror stories about the arguments over things like I don't know if they still do this or not, but these restricted cards where there are cards you. Oh, they had printed that are restricted, but you okay. couldn't have. And there's other ones you could have, but you could have only one and others where you could have only four. Mm-hmm. And I watched the arguments occur about this isn't a restricted card. Well, according to the list they printed over here, it is. But according to the one over here, it isn't. And all this information was creating conflict. And look, Magic by its nature is always a competitive game. Mm. I'm not aware of any co-op way to play Magic. You, know, you, you can do this with an RPG in right. most settings. You can say, well, we're doing this for the sake of the table, not the individual. What works best? Let's just GM make a call and let's move on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in a competitive setting, that doesn't really work. Mm. We'll find that. <laughs> so there. So there. My brain is trying to fix this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exciting. There's, a, there's technological solutions that we cannot apply. I mean, you, <laughs> you could. Yeah, there are. Yeah. We, we have a podcast where we can pitch about it. <laughs> and that will get distributed over the World Wide Web and an infrastructure we did not build to hopefully get these. Jira and Confluence. Oh, <laughs> no, we can't. That's a hard, hard no. So today's topic comes hot and fresh from Chad. Yes. So you guys had Game Pitches, which is the episode that precedes this one, Mm -hmm. which I have actually not listened to yet uh, because... Why? Well, because as of last night, prior to this recording, I didn't have the return file yet for Aisha. And Uh, as of today, my heater was broken. So I spent the entire day in my bedroom under an electric blanket (laughs) with a space heater (laughs) waiting for the furnace repairman who's coming tomorrow morning i mean i feel like listening to the podcast would have been a great activity for being huddled under an electric blanket <laughs> well except this, i didn't have any access to the show well i guess i did off the patreon so i didn't think about that but i'll say the raw itself was too large to stream over because <laughs> the raw is it's an it's a lossless sound format so to they're download gigantic. it yeah they're like a gigabyte in size i mean this is not something you want to pull on your phone but anyway the point being though that you guys last week or two weeks ago or whatever mm-hmm. did the Wayne's game Wayne's pitches. game pitches mm-hmm. yep. and the game that you guys picked, which the best point the listeners mm-hmm. know and by point of release I will know. You guys settled on a Dresden game, yes, correct. And mm-hmm. Chad, your character creation got you thinking about something, yes. So let's talk briefly about mm-hmm. what you're playing. So we're, we're playing Dresden Files. We've talked quite a bit about Wayne's previous campaign. This has nothing to do with this campaign. Hold old hard break. None of the lore characters or anything have anything to do with it. The reason I bring it up is because in the previous campaign that we talked about, it was super high power level. I like very, very powerful characters. This one is different. It is much lower power. In fact, it's the lowest level of character you can make in the rules without stripping stuff off of them. Chad's playing a virgin. 
Not a white court virgin. No, I'm playing. I'm playing a virgin. No, no, no. Chad's not playing a a, a white court virgin. He's playing a virgin. That's how low power he is. Playing a virgin to Acre, maybe, but that's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm really playing is a hoe. I'm not virgin. I get paid. (laughs) Can I get that in? So what I'm really, really playing is a paramedic. We're playing like mid twenties character, early twenties, mid twenties characters. By um, which you mean age, age, not era. Era, yeah, yeah. It, it is twenty twenty in the game. The twenties. It is the twenties technically. Some different twenties. Different twenties. My character is former army. Joined the army when he was eighteen. Was a medic in the army, but he did not see combat. He was in Europe at the time. Did his enlistment in Europe, and then when his enlistment was over. He came back to the States. Then he became a civilian paramedic, you know, ambulance driver, paramedic, car crashes, that whole thing. And his sort of, and he is a what is called a minor power. He can see dead people. So he's a paramedic who sees the dead. Because in Dresden, you don't see the dead unless you have special powers or they want to be seen. What got me thinking about it was actually nothing to do with the dead or anything like that. I'm like, what's a paramedic? Like, what's the difference between an EMT and a paramedic? EMT is lower education, yeah. lower training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, more schooling. And so I was thinking about that. And I was talking to Dawn about it because she's playing a police detective. Yeah. And I was like, well, I need to look this up because I'm, I'm using the terms interchangeably. And I looked up, found that yeah. is like basically an EMT is the stepping stone to a paramedic. And there's like a certificate program you go to, whereas a paramedic is more of a two year uh, associate's degree and then a lot of certification and training. Yep. And right. stuff. Uh, it's pretty heavy duty. And then you can use that in, and on and on and on and on. And so I was looking it up and then I realized, you know, I don't know a lot about the army. I mean, I know like stuff everybody knows from watching movies and whatnot. And, I, and I'm a history buff. And so I know like historical type things. But I don't know, is it realistic to be in the army in 2020 as a combat medic, fully trained, yet not sent over to one of our conflict zones? I mean, is that a thing that happens or not? I don't know. What would be the rank of an 18-year-old who goes through all the training and then comes out a paramedic? Not really a doctor, not an officer. Or are they? I don't know. All these different questions that I had. And it also varies from branch to branch. It varies from branch mm-hmm. to branch. Now, he right. is specifically in right. the Army, Army but yeah. yeah, it varies from branch to branch. What kind of training does a combat medic get? Is it like a paramedic? Is it more? Is it less? I don't know. So I started looking it up, and what I found, or what I thought of was, I remembered Eric. Now, Eric was in the Army, Eric of Gamer's Table, and he's also on our Skies of Glass game, too. Eric was in the Army. He was a tanker. He did medical training. I think he trained as a medic. And then he, when he came home, he is a nurse. And it's like, I can talk to him next time we yeah. play Skies of Glass. It's a very different life than Chad and I lived, because he and I went through a spec off sniper. <laughs> right. And <it> was, yes. <laughs> Is the, and then I had to get glasses, and then like, yeah, you're, you're yeah. out. So. Yeah. But I like the killing too much, right? So they had to move me over to a mall. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I was like, well, I'm not going to see Eric in time, except <laughs> Gamers Table. They have a very strong presence on Discord. They have a very active Discord server. Yeah, and Eric has 10 billion shows. Yes, he, he does. He likes making and collecting podcasts and shows and stuff. And then he has a great way of sloughing the work off of other people. <laughs> right. So one of his shows is called Trench Monkeys. And Trench Monkeys is a podcast about veterans who play role-playing games. And they have a Discord channel. And I'm like, hey, I've got all these questions. Why not ask them? And so I did ask him. And man, that very responsive, very cool 
answered all of my questions, made me ask more questions. It was very neat. So this topic is not about trench monkeys or those guys as cool as they are. But the topic is more about when you make a character about something you don't know really all that much about, for myself, army life and a paramedic, how much research do you do? How much research should you do into your own character? And I don't mean mechanically. I don't mean what dice do I roll to do my medic thing. But like, what is a medic? How much do they get paid? How much schooling do you need? How many hours do you work in a week? Let me throw that back on you guys. How much research do you do or should a person do on their character when you personally don't know a whole hell of a lot about what they are, or what they do? Here's what I would recommend. I'm going to go with a concept that is taken from a school thought that I despise, but it's a great concept when taken in a vacuum, which is MVP, minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. What MVP yes. is, and it comes from a school of thought called agile thinking. It's a way of solving problems, usually in a technical environment, and it's horrible and doesn't work. But... <laughs> The point that I, I'm going Seriously, to... Seriously, guys, you should hear these guys go on and it's on. It's awful. We all on. hate oh, it. Hate it's it. ridiculous. Hate it so much. Uh, yeah, because we we make good money fixing the problems Agile <laughs> creates. There's going to be the most boring, negative episode, and it's going to be Dan, Laura, and Just myself. Just about Agile. Five and hours. Wayne. And Wayne. Five <laughs> hours of us screaming into the mics about Agile. Yeah. So, and by the way, if you think me saying I don't like Agile means I'm heavy waterfall and you know what that means, you've drank Colt Kool-Aid, back away. <laughs> but, all right, well, so the, the point of, of minimum viable product here, I'm not going to go on a more of a tangent not than yet. that. Not yet. <laughs> but the point of minimum viable product is it basically says, what is the least amount you need to create to get the minimal job done? Okay, so in order for the thing to work. So let's say you have an idea for a great big shopping website. You want to be the next Amazon. All right. What a minimum viable product might be is a website where somebody can log on, put one item in their cart, hit a button that goes to a placeholder for the payment page, and then go to a thank you, here's your confirmation email. Now, there's no real products. You're not hooked up to any payment thing like PayPal. There's a fixed set of user accounts. You can't go in there and change your email address or reset your password. You can only have one item at a time in the shopping cart. There's all these limitations, but it does a minimum proof that the loop works, Mm -hmm. okay, that you can get from A to Z and back to A, and you've proven it works. And they call that the minimum viable product, and I think it's a great idea. Now, where this applies to a role-playing game is the question I would ask, is what do I need to play my character? So in your case, Mm. I think if you were to walk into the game and because your character is the only military character in there, it's not a military environment, Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to understand how the army works inside and out. Right. I don't think I don't need to know the nomenclature. I don't need to I don't think you need to know the code for your MOS your military occupational specialty. You know, there's a lot of things that if you were even wrong about what rank he is or how much mm-hmm. money he would have made or where he could have been deployed, you know, these are things that one, nobody at the table is going to call no. you out on. Nobody's right. going to Two, ask. they don't matter to the internal consistency of the game because mm-hmm. this doesn't take place in the military and war zone. Mm-hmm. I would say you probably need to know far more about what Jim Butcher has to say about the Dresden files <laughs> right. than you do about what the trench monkeys have to say about the military. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying the latter's invalid or unimportant, right. but I'm saying within the context of this set of characters in this game, mm-hmm. there is a limit to what you need to know beyond which 
it might be great to set your accuracy, mm-hmm. but at what point does it become wankery? Right. I tell you, you will never meet half so many people that are medieval military experts <laughs> as at a D&D game. Mm-hmm. To hell these people don't have everything figured out about swords and armor, never mind the fact that if you go back and look at even a 101 history, 90-some odd percent of what they spout is wrong. Go to a D&D yes. forum. Go to yeah. a D&D forum sometime <laughs> and make a post that says, a crossbow cannot penetrate armor. And you will see the biggest online fight of your entire yes. life. Or it'll be amazing. Or say that it can. Yeah, I, either one way. Of the ones I heard all the time, and I, I still hear her so often, is how swords were always fought hands off. They're only held by the hilts. Like, no, their entire fighting styles. Right. There are surviving manuals of combat from the Renaissance Ugh, that show how a long sword is held in two hands with one hand on the blade. Yeah. Now, yeah. imagine you're playing a role playing game, and in the middle of it, and there's a big fight, and it's the climax, and it's really cool, and the entire game stops because two wankers start arguing about yes. this in the middle yeah. of it. Uh, yes. That is where character research goes too far. Exactly. Yes. You can cross into the realm where knowledge makes you stupid. Yep. Or exactly. it makes you act the fool. It mm-hmm. makes you act like an idiot. You've lost you have lost sight of what the purpose of the yep. knowledge was. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the knowledge was to get from point A to point Z and back to point A. When I was playing Narl, I knew the null stats inside and out. I knew the culture of these gnolls because I was playing multiples. You know, Narl's not the mm-hmm. only one I was playing, but I never made this a factor in the game. I never... I will even go further because Narl was a gnoll he played in this D&D game that I was running, right? And so I had the... It was nighttime, set the scene at night. And they were, I think, up on a hill or something. And I had these gnolls that were coming up to them that they could see him in the distance because they were carrying torches. Yeah. And Dan leans over and he's like, Chad, you know, uh, gnolls have dark vision. They don't need the torches. And I'm like, in fact, they wouldn't like them because anyone they're hunting would now see them. them. And I'm like, oh, crap, you're right. But do you mind if we hand wave it? Because I need you to see them. Yeah. Right. And it sets an interesting scene. And Dan was like. No problem. Works for me. Yeah, we can find an excuse. Right. We can. Yeah. They, they were carrying them because it makes them visible because they were trying not to scare anyone. Yeah. Because, or maybe they were trying to scare them. Or, yeah. or you know, maybe it was yeah, better yeah. to have people run than fight them. Yeah. Or maybe, they're like, come at me. Maybe they were just cold. <laughs> maybe they wanted to set something on fire. Didn't matter. I like <laughs> that last one. Maybe, maybe that it's last one works. But yeah, maybe it's like a sacred ancestral flame that can't be allowed to go out. Yeah, right. Maybe. Well, I think mean, the drill down here, though, is that Dan did a huge amount of research and world development and development on the gnolls and gnoll culture that he drew from the source material that he added to himself. And he did not slap me in the face with it. He did not overwhelm the game with it. That's the thing is you added to the game. And that's what I think that when you do character research, you need to do is does this add to the game or does this take away from well, and that was that was going to be my point to dan's point there in terms of like mvp and absolutely like don't necessarily take everybody down the rabbit hole with you but at the same time i have played long enough with chad Mm -hmm. now that i just assume that he's done all of the research (laughs) because he's chad and he will and that allows him to inject nuance into the game. And that makes it more interesting. And knowing who your players are and who else is at the table with you and who your GM is and how you can work with them, mm-hmm. you've got to know who your audience is. Right. And if, it, if you know, some a- is going to smack you in the face with it, well, then maybe you need to address that a- 
people and yeah and deal with that but and that's what i go with in something like D, where somebody's like well flails pierce armor which okay they do but look we're playing by the, the rules D&D game <laughs> yeah we're playing yeah. by the rules and the rules say they do what is it a d8 of damage whatever yeah. and it says the armor changes the two hit by this you know th- that's that's what we're playing here right we're not yeah. playing sca fan fest or whatever you know and that's cool I, I got much love for people who are into this kind of research and into this kind of stuff but that's not what we're attempting to do mm-hmm. you know the big rule here is internal consistency where i think it can add something to the game is we talked about the depth of a character or the consistency even within a character let's talk about dawn's character she's mm-hmm. playing a police detective yep mm-hmm. now there's a bunch of things i don't know about police detectives there's some things i do know but she's she's her character is i believe 26 or 28 years old sure and when don and i had this conversation we had to look it up because we're like that seems young yeah can you be a police detective that young is it something where and i don't know because i'm sure departments are different states are different what department is she even playing for let's say well and we had to we kind of sussed that out so it's like st louis metro is like highway patrol Uh, a a made-up city of a million people in the middle of california along the coast okay so yeah we don't have any idea what the laws are it's anything we want (laughs) or you can look it up because if if wayne says oh yeah Back when you were a doing your required stint mm-hmm. as a beat cop before right. you were allowed to be a detective, was that a thing? Well, in, or do you just go straight to being a detective? I don't yeah. know. Can and, you play a Doogie Howser twenty three year old murder detective? No. Well, and we looked it up. We did a, a little bit of research because we're like, will this be weird? Because I mean, that was the first reaction. Why I just told you guys, right? And probably half the audience too of twenty six. For a gold shield carrying police detective, that's a little on the young side, right? Well, we looked it up. To be a police officer, you need a GED. This is average. It's different everywhere. Right, right? right. On the average, you need a GED or high school diploma. You need police academy training, which is about six to nine months. Again, it varies. It could be longer. And that's it to be a patrolman. You go in as a patrolman, you do a really good job, then you can work your way up and be a detective. It is entirely possible to be a detective at the age of 26. Usually the detectives get a minimum an associate's degree in criminal justice, which only takes about two years. Or if you're a beat cop, probably takes about like three years because you work long hours and night classes and stuff. Again, we looked it up. All the math works. Is she on the young side? Maybe a little. Also, we we learn the difference between carrying a gold shield and a silver shield about how you can be a detective, but you're not an officer in in that I mean like a boss. You're not a supervisor of detectives. Mm -hmm. She is not a supervisor of detectives. She doesn't run her department. She is just a detective on the front lines. She's in missing persons. So it's not homicide or narcotics or Things like that, where mm-hmm. it, it's a higher, I guess, prestige level. And all that stuff is never going to come up in the game. Except that maybe she's a missing person. It develops detective. her role play. But it develops her role. Right. It informs And it also her. brings out where NPCs could come in, what life experiences mm-hmm. she's had. So she can say, well, back when I was a beat cop, I saw right. such and such, and I met so-and-so. Because we ask the question of ourselves, I'm like, because we don't know. Can you go through schooling and get a job instantly as a low-level detective? And the answer is no. Yeah. It's not that there's anything that prevents that, but that's just not how it works. Yeah, right? and I think, once again, the important thing here is an internal consistency. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about where actually too much knowledge of the real world makes hurt you we mentioned one way which is people start wanking it right instead of allowing it to inform the game they use it to try and rule the game or structure the game they use it to try and veto 
rules declarations or setting declarations. We were talking about at dinner as being like another type of lawyer. You have the rules mm-hmm. lawyer who says, well, you can't do this because in <laughs> Eric Mona's post in oh, some forum, nobody on. reads. Or <laughs> you can have a setting lawyer who says, well, if we went over here, Elminster would be there and therefore this, this, and this. You know who else would be there? Your mother. <laughs> And you know what Elminster be doing to her? Well, and right. why he's not paying attention? Mm-hmm. And well, let's not ask that question. <laughs> but you could have. She certainly can't. Her mouth's full. <laughs> I'm so ashamed of you. Know right now. You know why we're aware of that? What? Because she told us. <laughs> <laughs> There's five people that got that joke. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> all right, but the other type of lawyer you could have is you can have your own character lawyer. Mm. I mean, you can be a lawyer in your own character to the point that I'm not saying the GM should run your character. I'm not a big fan of the GM at will marionetting your character of just saying, okay, so Dan, the scene picks up. You've walked into a bar and punched the bartender because he wouldn't give you your change back. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, I'm like a cleric of non-violence and yeah yeah, and bartender tipping (laughs) and whatever. And it's like, yeah, this is not like, whoa. But you know, when Chad said the gnolls are carrying torches. Right. No, I did mention to him. Oh, yeah. They had night vision. What's so like, I'm suspicious. Because ultimately I was wrong and you were correct. Well, and also, I, I had made an error. It raised in-game questions. Yes. Of, are these actually gnolls or are these right, people right. that are just trying to look the part from a distance? Because mm-hmm. that might be a sign mm-hmm. of trickery. Right. So I did need to discuss it with Chad. Mm-hmm. But once Chad... Disguise self works wonders. Oh, yeah, it does. But I mean, these may be... Given the number, because there's more than two, you know, they may not be arcane spellcasters, mm-hmm. especially given the insetting boundaries there were on arcane spellcasters. Had a disguise, man. Had a disguise. But we had to run down the what's the consistency or what am I supposed to take away from this? But I could have conversely, mm-hmm. you know, really pinned him to the wall on that. Yeah. And in the same way, you know, you could do that to Wayne, where every time he comes to you with anything about your character, you're like, well, actually, you know, in the military, oh, it's God. like this. And I talk like this and I say this and not that. And, you know, Wayne has somebody come up and say something the Marines say to each other and mm-hmm. instead of the army thing. You know, he gets oorah on the wrong side of the line. Right. I get it. This stuff matters in a certain context. That context is not right. the Dresden game you're in. The other thing I want to point out here is you can be such a lawyer about your character, depending on where you did your research, that your research becomes wrong. Let me give you an example of this that I hit up against with one of my homebrews, which may be what we play after Skies of Glass. We haven't decided yet. But one of the games we may go to is my other homebrew, which is a far future science fiction, which I've called Epoch of Risos. Within that game, years back, I had somebody ask me the question because I was working through a scenario. And there's a special ops group where the highest ranking officer was lieutenant. And I'm like, wait a minute, this makes no sense because a specs op group should have somebody that's notably higher ranked than that. You know, how is this happening? Blah, blah, blah. Well, in the modern day military, in today's military, at least within the U.S., within certain branches, yada, 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 you come into the military at one of two or three points, which is you're either enlisted and, you know, go in at the bottom and work your way up and typically never see an officer's rank or you are given an officer's commission. You know, you come out of ROTC as lieutenant or whatever the details are. And generally speaking, the normative experience is these two paths don't cross. But within the setting that I've created, humanity has figured out how to medically stop aging. 
And so people live enormously long lives. And so what this military has started doing is they do occasionally commission someone in at a higher rank. But most of the soldiers in there, regardless of what rank they are at the time, they started at the bottom. So to be a lieutenant, that doesn't mean you're straight out of your officer school. This means you have been in the military and work your way up a whole chain of ranks. You've been a private. You've been a private first class. You've been this. You've been this. You've been through sergeant. You've been all these things on your way there. You know, this is no longer an entry point. It means something different in my setting. And if somebody came in who was too hung up on how the U.S. military tends to handle these ranks, it would actually be deleterious to the game. Mm. It would be a problem because that knowledge would be in the way of the internal consistency of the world. And so I think you can actually start to kind of hurt yourself. Yeah. We're also talking a lot of stuff about very technical backgrounds, like mm-hmm. police, military, emergency services, that sort of thing. And I, I think that's where a lot of research would come in because, you know, other than movies, a lot of people don't have that much interaction or encounters with them, too. But it also could come up in other things, too. Laura's character, she's playing a barista. Yes, I am. Not only is she playing a barista, but one of the things that we do in Dresden is they have a a city creation thing. So you make the city like it's a character. The whole group comes together. You make locations, you make NPCs, you make all this sort of stuff. And we made a coffee (laughs) shop called OK Boomer. (laughs) I love it. We're all playing millennials. Uh, So we, we have a coffee shop that my character lives above, has an apartment in and oh, y'all are kind of some of you younger characters might be down to zoomers now. Zoomers, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's still appropriate to yeah, say still. okay boomer. Yeah. yeah. So it's called okay boomer and uh she's <laughs> a barista there. Now, Laura, you know a lot about coffee. I do. You I have coffee. worked as a barista right. as well, yeah. So, what if somebody was playing your character and they they didn't even like coffee? They didn't even know the first thing about I, coffee. I can give you a real world example of this. A real game. I world. mean, it's coffee, so well, well. Let me give you a different one. So, but the, all right. Well, the thing is, on that is, you're right. It is coffee, except the main central point our characters gather in, or is going to gather in, right? Is, is a coffee is shop coffee that you shop, work in. Yeah. So let me give you an example of this, where I did something that, in retrospect, may have been of an under handed throw because I threw something at somebody that I'm going to treat as a GM. They weren't exactly GM. I'll explain this in full here in a second that I presumed they knew something and I really didn't give them an out if they didn't. And it Mm. it was kind of a bad move on my part. Now I've confessed that. Let me make my other confession here. (laughs) This one's much more serious. (laughs) A while back for a while there, I was trying role playing on an MMO. Mm. All right. So Mm -hmm. Father, forgive me for I have said. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, good luck with that. Well, it actually did go surprisingly well. So it turns out, number one, within the context of the Final Fantasy fourteen game, and number two, within the context of one server in that game, <laughs> there actually is pretty decent role-playing going on. Even still, you have to sort through a lot of chaff to find it, but you oh can God. find it. And I actually did have some pretty good RP on there, as ashamed as I am to <laughs> say this, you know. Did you look lovingly at your chocobo? Uh, yeah. Somebody had set up, there There was guild housing or what they call free company housing, where you can set up your own environment and they had a lot of furniture and props. So, I mean, you could detail out all kinds of stuff and they had done beautiful things. They, they could do music, they could do stages, you can set up bars and they had actually put a lantern and because of the way the lighting works, they put certain things blocking the lantern 
and actually created a shadow puppet like silhouette of a different creature on the back wall. Oh, wow. I mean, they've done some really creative stuff. Well, this is supposed to be a bar. So I walk in, and the first thing I do is I sit at the bar and I was talking to somebody else. And when the person that was playing the bartender walked over and asked for my order, I just put two fingers on the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if you're not a bartender or don't frequent bars, mm-hmm. because I don't know. I mean, for all I know, I, I don't know who this person is. Right. For all I know, maybe they hate the bar scene. Maybe this isn't their thing. Do they know what that means? Right. What it means is I want two fingers of whiskey. Yeah. It's a measurement of how much whiskey you're going to pour out. But I didn't know this person knew what two fingers were. I wasn't even drawing from anything in game because the game does have its own internal alcoholic drinks that are specific to that game world. How often do you think two fingers of whiskey comes up in a Japanese game? (laughs) Let me give you a hint. Never. It doesn't. (laughs) The role playing presupposed the person playing the bartender knew enough to tend bars. Mm -hmm. Okay. In a real role playing game, you could probably pause the game and say, Okay, what, what does that mean? And right. I can explain it. Mm-hmm. But this is GMless role playing. It's just total collaborative role play. It's totally spontaneous. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if she had sent me a whisper or a private message of what does that mean, I would have whispered back and explained it. But the scene hinged. It wasn't just me because there were other people mm-hmm. in there as well. Right. Their interactions with her hinged around the presupposition she knew something about tending bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there were other people that would come in there and they would say really wild stuff. They'd say, like, I don't know, but I'm kind of feeling I want something a little spicy. Give me something that's got a little bit of a, of a kick to it. Well, okay, within the context of Final Fantasy... That means literal fire elemental drink. <laughs> well, I mean, no, because this person started drawing from yeah. drinks that could be... I mean, because you can't fall on fireball. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, fireball whiskey, not the smell right. fireball. You can't fall on fireball whiskey because this isn't the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Eorzea. This is imaginary Final Fantasy vaguely derived from Ivalis which is a previous Final Fantasy world, <laughs> that's what you're dealing with. What what would you make? And this person came up with something that had ground sentiment in it and all mm. this stuff. And I don't know if they had to Google it, or I don't know if she really didn't know the drink. Total ass pull. It, it was a real <laughs> drink. It was a real drink. But yeah. like I said, I don't know if they had Google open or they had studied it. I don't know. Maybe they really were a bartender. I don't know. But, you know, it, I think you'd get a similar sort of thing as if you're playing the game mm-hmm. and you said you were this and this in the army and Wayne goes out and looks that up. It's like, oh, that means he was here. And all of a sudden you, it's like, Chad, you see an NPC and he's there from your time as such and such, which you had to go through to be right. this. I'm like, what? And you're like, oh, I was a what's that now? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you can pause the game and say, Wayne, can you explain this to me? And I know Wayne would, mm-hmm. but there's a point where you're so confused by the event. It's hard to recover that and keep it yeah. feeling natural. Yeah. Because it's you just trying to totally BS your way through it. Mm-hmm. Does this mean you're going to throw weird coffee orders at my character just for funsies? <laughs> I could if you want. Yeah, like what are those beans that have to be eaten by something uh, else? Civet, and civet and beans. pooped yeah. out again. Yeah, yeah, it's partially digested. Yeah. 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 Most expensive coffee in the so world. So it gets some of their stomach acid or digestive mm-hmm. juices or something mixed up in the bean. And Okay Boomer does not have those coffee no. beans. Yeah, you, you <laughs> probably it's have far like, too expensive. It is. But you have your avocado toast and your boba. Uh, we absolutely have avocado toast. That's right. You can and, make steamed milk, right? <laughs> yes. All right, then. I'm good. <laughs> we have the little milk with, with steamer. With a few shots of hazelnut? Yeah, yeah I, so, so okay. There we go. That's so I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, and I realize mm-hmm. we still occasionally get the okay boomer. Though mm-hmm. we're not boomers. Boomers did everything to us. They did to you, and they did it to us first. <laughs> yes. But Very much FYI, so. for those of you who haven't read the demographics, 
I went into a coffee shop. It was me, Chad, one of our coworkers. And I'm not a huge coffee drinker. And this guy ordered something. All I can tell you is it looked like a polio treatment to me. <laughs> I'm serious. Because there was this device that to me looked like the yes. mechanical side of an iron lung. There's just like this thing going up what? and down and making this breathing mm-hmm. noise. And they yep. like pack all this stuff into it. And then this thing that looks like an Applebee's chocolate lava cake comes yep. up from the top and they scrape that off. And then some other form of evil wizardry occurs <laughs> and there's some distillation. There's only two s- in St. Louis, these devices. Yeah. And there's like some distillation of like gelfling blood <laughs> that you then pull out from this that makes the coffee. I, I don't even know what this yep. is except to say it looked like an iron lung. I need to know where this is. It was I need to go get Westport. Starbucks. Okay, as someone okay. who's watched too many respirators in a hospital, as someone who's been in a, on a respirator in a hospital, I'm not lying here. It actually creeped me out a little. Like, really? I was having bad flashbacks. I mean, I used to work in a hospital, so now I'm super curious. <laughs> it, it actually kind of bothered me, because it seemed weirdly medical. Yeah. Huh. And I don't know what this was. The one in, at the, in Westport? Yep. Yeah, but okay. the point is, someone in your game could bring up this kind of devilry. Right. And you gotta know. Which means that Chad will. Cause I mean, if you want me to get really weird about coffee, I can get nope. really weird about I mean, coffee. The I only reason I don't think he will is just to get the name of it. He's going to have to ask somebody neither of us want to talk to. <laughs> so he's not going to ever get the name of this. <laughs> and I don't remember what the name is. But. Yeah, and to get it, he would have to talk mm-hmm. to somebody that we don't dislike, but we do <laughs> avoid. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my take, is I think minimum mm-hmm. viable product and your goal here is the internal consistency of playing your character well. Anything beyond that, great for your trivia, great for... If you love this stuff, great, but please do not bog the game down with it. That was a serious bunny trail we went on. (laughs) (laughs) Hippity-hoppity. Seriously. I've been doing this for a year or two. You think I don't know how to herd cats on my own show, even when I am one of the cats. This is cats herding cats. On coffee. Meow. Woof. Thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Booth, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.